you're in an elevator. You overhear a producer say, my next project is a Jalo film, but it needs a title. Whoever gives me the best title will direct the project with a blank check attached. What is the title you're throwing in? So I have, I think, a pretty good one. The The name for the space in your mouth between, like, your cheeks and your teeth is called the vestibule. So I think uh. a movie called Vestibule. And a guy sees somebody get, like, stabbed through the face, maybe through, like, the, the window of, like, a hotel or, like, an yeah. apartment in the vestibule. And then he either becomes, like, a suspect or gets maybe uh, hunted down by the killer. I'm not going to lie. I thought, I thought the first part was the pitch, the space between your <laughs> mouth. Yeah. Well, oh. that's what I was sort of going the other way also, right? Because for me, I feel like the ideal, the, the like, epitome of the of the Giallo title is, like, is like uh, Agatha Christie, but more opaque, right? Uh-huh. So, yeah. I was, so I was thinking, I was going more like uh, the antique aroma of her nightingale. <laughs> Uh-huh. Something like that, yeah. yeah, that's pretty Vest- good. V- but vestibule's tight. It's uh, it's also it's loaded. Vestibule sounds more like a like a two thousand eight Dario Argento movie. It could also be that, <laughs> yeah. Also, it, it's surprising no one's ever done Blood and Black Gloves, or maybe they have. Um, Blood and Black Gloves, but <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Being the famous one, and no one's ever like twisted it to Blood and Black Gloves. I feel like it could be either like a like a POV movie where you're really focused on the killer um, or it yeah. could be like a Jello movie where the the um, victims are primarily male could be like a twist on the usual format I do like that the Jello title doesn't lock you into a lot you know oh yeah no they're usually very evocative but like also tell you completely nothing. like absolutely I mean, nothing or, especially or, the Argento titles yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. or it'll you, it'll mention a thing that you see in one scene yeah you're like oh yeah there's that the best I could come up with was with the animal trend the bark of the decaying hellhound. Ooh. Oh, I like that. Scary. Yeah. yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared that's, just thinking about that's it. That's like an early 80s shallow. There we go. I love the idea, though, of people doing pitches based on just titles. I think, like, Stuart yeah. Gordon, Castle Freak, was, um, I think he was given that based on just the title. Like, they had a title and needed to make the movie, and he was like, it's got to have a castle, it's got to have a freak. <laughs> I frequently work from titles. I'll, like, come up with a nice title, and then I'll spend two years gestating on it and then i'll have uh-huh. an outline but i often work from titles i think it's a great way to go i just love the giallo titles are like the greatest metal songs that don't exist <laughs> oh that's true that's another way to just think of like a like a black sabbath song and that's that's a good way to invent one yeah. the lizard in the woman's skin like ah i want to yeah. hear that <laughs> yeah <laughs> Welcome back to Split Picks. We are once again discussing the great Italian horror directors for this year's October Horror Series. First, we looked at Dario Argento's The Stendhal Syndrome and The Phantom of the Opera. Those were with Bennett and Steve Collins. Those are such funny Argento picks. It was a... Yeah. We had to split into two episodes. They're both so good, if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Bennett has, yeah, a deep love for the fan of the opera that I don't think is too common, but, you know, he did a great sure. job defending his, uh, <laughs> his love for it. <laughs> Last week, we turned to Lucio Fulci. We looked at The House by the Cemetery and A Cat in the Brain, and that was again with Bennett and Frankie Venaria. This has been a great series so far. I think it's been a ton of fun. Uh, 
this week we once again have Bennett Glace back. Are you uh, ready for round three, Bennett? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> I'm feeling very uh, Italiano. Uh, I'm a little intimidated by your experience at this point. I feel like you're such a veteran uh, split pixer that I, I'm gonna have to really come out swinging to to beat don't you. Don't worry, I'm uh, as much of a pseudo intellectual as ever. Don't worry. <laughs> And if you couldn't tell, we also have Jim Hickox back, but he politely has given me my hosting seat back. Jim, how are you doing? Good. I, you know what? I prefer being on this side of the table. Uh, (laughs) It was a great episode with you hosting about. I appreciate you saying that, but it's more fun for me because, because here's the thing is that you do so much work (laughs) and research and I don't like doing that. It's a great I like I like showing up uh, and knowing barely anything and then just saying whatever I want. I did love Jim. I think my favorite part about that episode was the intro because I could tell you were actually nervous and I've never heard you nervous <laughs> before because you just took off like, hello, welcome to Split Pick Time, Jim. Um, uh, and then you settled down. But oh, I love that. <laughs> it's just like, yes, we rattled Jim. Yeah. Yeah. The conclusion was incredibly smooth, though. The yeah. transition to like, Thank I you. think the winner is Roy's World. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Today, we are talking about Sergio Martino. We're going to be looking at his first Giallo film, and uh, one that has a pretty informative title as to what it's about. (laughs) That's true. This one is pretty direct, I guess. His titles are, sorry, in general, his titles are a little more direct than a lot of Giallo titles. He's He's given you a chunk of meat with the title on almost all of them. Yeah. Torso is one of the best titles, and I often yeah. I, I often get it confused with Pieces. I often oh, Pieces super is different. the one with the famous taglines. They're very different movies, but I often will credit those taglines to Torso. Oh, I don't know what the um, tagline is for Pieces. Oh, um, you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre, and yeah. uh, it's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> well, yeah, Torso <laughs> is exactly what. Right? Torso, I was like, is sorry, we're like immediately launching off on yeah, not the movie you want to talk about. Off in like but it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is the it is exactly what it says on the box, right? They're like this movie is going to be all nude women and and violent death, and that's and then that it is, and like dismemberment. You're yeah. going to be left with some torsos. pieces, pieces, <laughs> or pieces. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jim, do you want to tell us what your film is today and a little bit about why you selected it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I. I'm coming out representing uh, the strange vice of Mrs. Ward, Ward with an H on the end, and I am, uh, and I've chosen it because I watched all of Martino's Jellas, and it's the best one. It's why. That, that's a very good reason. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Bennett. How about you? Yeah, so I, I I should say just piggybacking off of what Jim just said there, um, saying it's one of Martino's best giallos or it's the best of Martino's giallos is basically <laughs> saying it's one of the best giallos. Uh, sorry, Jolly ever made. Um, he Good made catch. four or five of them, and they're all really kind of like the cream of the crop, all all really great. And part of my uh, inspiration for my pick, Slave of the Cannibal God or Mountain of the Cannibal God, is uh, I wanted to pick a non giallo film. One of the great things about Martino, much like Lucio Fulci, who we talked about last week, is he worked across the kind of broad range of genres that we associate with Italian cinema. In this case, the cannibal film. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a subgenre that I've kind of avoided on reputation because, like, not not all that into the idea of seeing like animal cruelty or yeah. like the worst of like animal on animal nature film violence. But I don't know. This one was on Tubi. I was in a Martino <laughs> mood a couple months ago, and I, I saw this, and I was like, "Hey, you know, it's it, if if they were all like this, then 
I might be more into watching cannibal films. Uh, it's it's a pretty good example of the subgenre, much like his giallos, or jelly, excuse me. <laughs> I'm probably going to correct myself every time I make that mistake. Well, well now <laughs> I have to try to do that too. So. Now we all are. So once again, today is not going to be a career-spanning look at Sergio Martino. As Bennett teased, he has made a ton of movies. So we're going to be looking at two films today to just kind of see what they tell us about his career as a whole. Before we get into Strange Vice, though, I, uh, Bennett, there is a connection between a piece you wrote two years ago for October Horror and some of the topics we'll be talking about today. What can you tell us about the links between Bob Hope's movie Joys and the Strange Vice <laughs> of Mrs. Ward? <laughs> so among the many kind of baffling things about Joys, which uh, for those unfamiliar, and why would you be familiar unless you're an <laughs> avid listener of the of Gilbert Gottfried's <laughs> Amazing Colossal Podcast circa like 2015, um, Joys was a Bob Hope TV special I can't remember the year off the top of my head, probably like 77, 78. Um, and the title is riffing on Jaws, ostensibly. Oh. Uh, they call the, uh, it, it, and it centers on a killer who they refer to as a shark. But much more than a parody of Jaws, it's a uh, sort of uh, Jalo riff. There's a black gloved killer. Uh, you know, people are kind of picked off one by one. The the killer sort of taunts the victims. It's It's very much Bob Hope doing uh, classic uh, Italian horror movie in the style of, of Mario Bava, Dario Argento, or Sergio Martino, um, featuring an incredible cast, inclu- yeah. and, and including Groucho Marx in his last <laughs> filmed appearance. Whoa. Yeah. So uh, if you want to see, you know, a, at death's door, Groucho Marx in a truly <laughs> abysmal made-for-television comedy special, uh, look no further than Joys, yeah. with an exclamation point. Yeah. 1976. I I wish Old Man Groucho was one of the things that had in common with Mrs. Ward. Right, yeah. Well, funny you should ask, Craig. <laughs> now, all of our listeners are certainly familiar with Groucho Marx. <laughs> Can I get both of you to give me just your quick scouting report on Sergio Martino as a director? Just what do you feel are his strengths? What indicates his style? And how do you feel his work stacks up against some of the other Italian greats? A thing that I that I noted, and again, I, I watched his giallos and a couple of other horror things. I didn't go into his sex comedies or his sports movies yeah. or his uh, uh, whatever. I, oh, I really wanted to watch Arizona Cult Returns because for a minute I thought it was going to be a riff on Indiana Jones, but then I realized it was made before Indiana Jones. Uh, so I don't even know what it is. He, he like maybe a Western thing. I think it's a Western, yeah. But I didn't, I didn't dip into any of that. I mostly watched his horror. But one of the things that really struck me was... And this might be more indicative of myself as a consumer of Italian films, but I feel like the way that I've consumed Giallos before is the way that I think a lot of people have where I've seen four Argentos, two Bavas, and a Fulci, right? Where I've seen, like, kind of the things where people are, like, really wiling out and pushing, trying to bend the genre, and Martino doesn't mess with that. He's just like, I'm going to make rock-solid entries into already existing shapes um, and not try to, like do something wild and crazy with it. It's it's all of, or at least all the ones I watched are like premiere examples of the things they are without really any pretensions of, of doing anything with it. Yeah, I, so I first came to Martino through his Gialli, um, Your Voice is a Locked Door and Only I Have the Key, um, All the Colors of the Dark. Those are sort of like heavy hitters. And yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to be ever like trying to reinvent the wheel. And nevertheless, he just really, 
makes incredible films. Yeah. Um, I, I noted in our kind of like document uh, discussing the films, like conventional is a word that's usually deployed as a pejorative. You're usually <laughs> talking about somebody like Ron Howard, like all oh, these sure. films are conventional, <laughs> they're down the middle, they're, they're unexciting. But like, I don't know, like, you can't help but compare Martino to his countrymen and genre compatriots, you know, Argento and Fulci and Bava. And while he has kind of wild, outlandish, throw everything at the wall movies, like like American Rickshaw, I mostly associate him with these genre movies that are really just rock solid. Yeah. Um, and, and like not trying to like disarm you or upset you even when they are, or I guess they do upset you. Not trying to like disarm <laughs> you or confuse you even right. when they uh, deploy dream logic. Like yeah. this is, Mrs. Ward is a remarkably easy to follow jello yeah. movie. <laughs> despite all of its like crazy twists and despite the uh, really uh, effective dream logic. Um, and I think uh, Case of the Scorpion's Tale, which honestly, if, if you hadn't picked one of his other giallos, I might have picked that one. That's one that's like kind of arguably a giallo, arguably just a murder mystery. Yeah. There's a sequence in that movie where the killer is like cutting a hole through a door and all you hear on the soundtrack is, like, the knife scraping the wood. Yeah. If that were a Fulci or an Argento movie, there would be a really over-the-top soundtrack yeah. on that. Uh, and I think there is, like, an example of, of where you can see Martino set himself apart, too. Like, I don't know, like, the, the movies we're talking about both have really good, like, notable soundtracks, but they're not deployed to the sort of, like, disarming me uh, ends that uh Fulci and Argento often deploy their soundtracks yeah um and I kind of think if 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 Goblin had been associated with like Martino instead of Argento we might you know he might be as notable a filmmaker it is um, as great as these scores are they're not like insistent and uh instantly iconic in the way that those are that is absolutely true that I did I did note that there's like f- f- four or five Gialli from the like 70 through 74 or five right and then there's a gap and then there's Scorpion with two tails is 82 and it's like Dis- distinctly there's a jump where you're like you're like Suspiria happened in between here because uh-huh. he's like bringing in suddenly there's like mysticism involved right and yeah. and and the score the soundtrack isn't goblin but it'll like they've listened to goblin you know uh, mm-hmm. there's like a distinct stylistic shift between the the 70s and the, and the 80s f- for him which makes sense given sort of how he's operating but the the scores for all the ones before that are, yeah, they're definitely like I, the score for Mrs. Ward. I find super haunting, but it's mostly just like an organ and someone like sort of singing, not words. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very cool, very effective. <laughs> um, have either of you seen Mozart is a Murderer? I think that's his last Jello movie. Uh, it's from the '90s. That one we see him kind of returning to. Oh, I miss a pretty that one. Kind of like conventional, uh, non kind of mystical style. It's almost like he's responding to how far off the rails like Argento and Fulci had gone by that point. And he's yeah. like, all right, let's let's bring it back to we're just at a conservatory. There's nothing like <laughs> mystical happening. It's just a, a guy has gloves. He kills some people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. As crazy as that gets is like flashbacks and stuff. That yeah. really kind of like roots itself in like psychology more than in anything like mystical. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I love that about Martino, and I I've yet to see any of his westerns or. Um, you know, he's got some action War movies, movies. That don't kind of like comfortably fit. Um, oh, I've seen Casablanca Express. It's awesome. Is it? Uh, it's on Tubi. Very fun. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to watch that one. I, I will say so many, you know, Jolly have scenes that just in my head kind of run together as one. But sure. I will say Marcino, it's kind of just like you can just be like, oh, the the swamp scene. It's like, yeah, Torso. It's just he has yeah. a few scenes that are just so just creepy and out there that you're not mixing them up with anyone else and... which is also a little striking in that cuz i watched i watched all these movies two and a half months ago now uh, and then like i sort of reviewed a few of them that i wanted to but 
But even thinking back, one of the things that I think is charming about watching a bunch of his movies in a run is that he has sort of a uh, he has a cast that just recurs everywhere. Right. There's four or five people like Ed Weish, Fennec. I'm going to say all their names in insane ways, probably. Um, I should have written down their names. But there's uh, the guy who plays Jean in Mrs. Ward shows up in a couple. The guy who plays her husband in Mrs. Ward shows up in a couple. The lady who plays her best friend in Mrs. Ward shows up in a couple. She's a major character in Torso. Um, I think a few of them are in Torso. But even though these characters are like bipping around and showing up in all of the other movies, they all they still don't really run together in my head. I still like even thinking about them a month and a half later or whatever. I'm like, oh, this is distinctly your vice's locked room or like this one is definitely Torso. I think it's because he carefully deploys the dreamlike logic in comparison to like, yeah. other directors. Like he doesn't he, he he's really careful about when he mixes things up and sort of like intentionally tries to like confuse you yeah there's a distinctness to them yeah i don't know it's it's, it's funny that like argento is the one we associate with hitchcock whereas i think like i don't know there's much more of like you feel like you're in the hands of a master with the great martino movies yeah. you really feel like you're like going on a ride you know so this strange vice of mrs ward was martino's first giallo film you know we've talked about some of the other genres he'd worked in i mean including comedies i don't know if we've really touched on that yet but he'd done some documentary spaghetti westerns yeah what do you feel his work in these other genres brings to his films I, that's a good question it's, i mean i think he is sort of he comes off it as as a just sort of competent director he has a really good sense of shots and of timing yeah. it may be that if you came into gialli initially you would be like i can do anything and therefore I will make any decision. But coming in from a world of more sort of traditionally oriented structures, right? His his films are very, yeah, they're, I mean, we've already sort of said this, but they're very sort of strong and easy to follow. And and like Mrs. Ward has six twists, I think, at the end. I didn't count them, but uh, it feels like a lot, right? And, and that itself kind of, to me, feels a little, it reminded me of like uh, in high school, sneaking out and watching wild things. Um, it feels like, it feels like a much more modern way to structure a movie to be like twist, extra twist, third twist, fifth twist, right? Um, but it's, it's uh, yeah, it's very concrete. Uh, yeah, I, I would I would echo that. I think I, I think experience in other genres just sort of gave him uh, the competence. Um, he's he just yeah he knows where to put the camera. He's I don't know. I hate to keep calling him like more of like a conventionally minded filmmaker, but it's he just is. like I don't know. It's clear that it's like I don't know. You you kind of could have put him in any genre, and I bet Martina would have made a banger entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Jim, this reminds me, I mean, when we talked about Toby Hooper, you said he was a director who, when given a script, like, he's just going to direct the shit out of it, I think was your yeah. direct quote. <laughs> yeah, Martino, I think, is the same, right? He's, he's although he wrote he, he most of these it. also. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's kind of coming in from, from all directions. I, one of the things that Toby Hooper does is, like, he pushes everything. He's, he's I, I would say, more towards the Argento end of things, right? Where he's right. going to, like, he's going to be like, how can I milk the most juice out of every single word? Whereas Martino feels a little bit more Spartan. These movies all, to me, feel sort of thin, right? They're, like, thin and, like, a little nasty. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there isn't, like, extra stuff on them. Um, he's not using colors if he doesn't have to use colors. They're very kind of stripped back, which is the opposite of what I'm usually looking for in movies. But I found them... They're, they're, you know what it is? It's because often, this goes back to Ron Howard, often when people are trying to do sort of the basic steps, they, they hit the basic steps and everything's fine. But Martino is—he's hitting just kind of basic moves, but he's hitting them all with such precision that they all just feel s- super correct. 
and there is still a lot of like lurid nastiness because they're Jolly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. The the juxtaposition of like coyness with like the most lurid nastiness in the world mm-hmm. is pretty perfectly captured in yeah. uh slave of the cannibal god sure there's i mean I'm not, i don't want to like spoil too much about like the final sequence but I'll, I'll talk when we get there about like a shot to shot transition that's like whoa <laughs> holy moly yeah, it catches um, you guard. <laughs> but just uh to to sort of uh conclude the idea of his like professionalism you noted this jim like the fact that he's like such a competent like clean director almost makes slave of the cannibal god feel more like lurid yeah. Like it feels like you are watching a super professional documentary crew come look at this or something. Or it's like you're watching, like, we brought a Hollywood crew out to follow this. Instead of the sort of, like, handheld feel of, you know, Cannibal Ferox or something. Yeah. It's not, it's, you know, a lot of, you know, cannibal movies have, like, a pretense to, like, documentary realism. And this sort of does with that opening title card. Yeah, but, but not really. It, it doesn't play really the same. Feels much it's not more like polished. what a cannibal holocaust, right? Where they include a bunch of like actual war footage. They put in like they use real documentary footage to sort of cue it up, and then it's all shot like a documentary, and it just feels grimy, right? But and yeah, you're right. Uh, Mountain of the Cannibal God is it feels much slicker, which which then when dudes like cut an iguana open and drink its blood, you're like, oh, this feels somehow worse. I always, right, yeah, I it's, always it's so much worse that. to take this like very seriously, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in Strange Vice, Edwidge Fenich plays Julie Ward, and she is one of Martino's most used actors. She plays a diplomat's wife who, as you may have guessed, has a strange vice, and it's beginning to follow her around and torment her. Jim, you want to take it from there? Sure, yeah. It is in many ways sort of a straightforward, though twisty, giallo. Um, I, this, is, this is sort of what's at the core of the movie, right? I don't know how deep to go into this before we tell you what the plot is but but i'm gonna start here which is that it's and it's in the title right the strange vice of mrs ward she is in this sort of cold loveless sexless marriage and part of the reason she is is because she's running away from this dude jean with whom she had a very passionate relationship and the way that this is played out is is she she's like oh he's a he's a pervert and a sex maniac and he could be doing the murders right there are murders happening the murderer is also a sex fiend the murderer is uh, what do they call him yeah they, they call I him the, they call they, him sex pervert <laughs> they say sex fiend and sex pervert there's a, a quote times, yeah. at the beginning where they talk to a cop and they're like they're like there was a murder and the, they're like oh was it oh, the yeah. sex was fiend? It the sex fiend and the cop I love says, that that's just at the yes. tip of their tongue and yeah. she's still using <laughs> and he's still using the razor like that's information that police would give out yeah. um we all know he's slitting throats with a razor. Uh, but, but yeah, there's a guy who's like murdering women. He's a sex pervert and he's killing women with a straight razor. Um, and so she thinks, well, maybe it's this guy. We see both of them interacting during the movie. He keeps sending her flowers with things that say, that say like cards that say things like, the worst part of you is the best thing you've got. And and your vice is a locked room and only I have the key, famously. But they also we also see flashbacks to their relationship, right? And it feels like she sort of implies that he's like a maniac and that she always felt scared with him. But every time we see them interacting, it feels like they're having consensual S and M sex. There, mm-hmm. there's like a scene where he dumps a bottle of liquor on her. I assume it's liquor, and then smashes the bottle and and slices her clothes open with it. Uh, and then the, and then they're like rolling around in the dirt. Um, and there's one where he sort of they're like running through the rain and then he like hits her and then they're and then they're having sex on the ground. Oh, my God. I was watching that on the train today. Holy, <laughs> holy, holy moly. Not a not a film to be watched in public. Folks, no, it's, it's, it's like they're doing like some pretty intense S&M stuff. Well, decently intense S&M stuff. But it, but it also when we see it, it, it always feels sort of consensual. And, and also the title sort of implies that that it is consensual. 
And so it's an interesting, I don't know, I, I like the way that it's playing with that, where it's it feels like the thing that scares her is her own attraction to this dangerousness. And then we sort of also see that play out in real time, where she has this very cold marriage. And then this other, she meets a guy at a party named George, who he and his sister are about, or they've just inherited a bunch of money. And he starts to court her. Uh, he he wants to court her in front of his hus in front of her husband. He I think I wrote down that quote also, where he's like, "My specialty is uh, courting women in front of their husbands," yeah. which is weird. Everyone in this movie is a little weird. But then she she does she has he's like super handsome and there and and she has no interest in him until he sort of forces her to go on a motorcycle ride and makes her feel uncomfortable and scared and and in danger on the motorcycle. And then she's like, "Oh." Oh, I like this, George. Right. It's, so we sort of watch this this masochism thing playing out in real time, which I think I don't know. I think that that whole sort of back and forth about this idea around her being scared of her own sexuality is a fascinating uh, element of the film. But then it's uh, th- then we sort of continue through and we think that maybe Jean is doing murders uh, and it and it. Until an hour into the movie when the murderer gets killed, which is our first major twist, right? We're sort of following through this through this journey um, and we're running away and we're uh, she goes to Spain with George after George's sister gets mysteriously murdered by the by the sex pest. And then uh, am am I am I telling this in a satisfactory way? And (laughs) covering a lot of ground. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then, uh, yeah, and then the murderer gets murdered. Um, and then we're sort of left super up in the air. It throws twists at you, just so many at the end. <laughs> I I love a, a, a composition style that he sort of returns to in both of these movies. He loves putting our characters like sort of deep in the frame, even in um, sequences where it really like almost makes no sense. I think of in like Slave of the Cannibal Gods, and they're getting like kicked out of the camp. Uh, we get a shot of the guy yelling at them, like Father uh, Father Moseus. Yeah. We cut to them all super, super deep in the frame as if to communicate this sort of like isolation. And we get a lot of shots of Edward Fenage, um, yeah, kind of, like deep in the frame. The lighting in this movie is incredible. And it's so not the stereotypical Giallo look. I don't know. I, I feel like when we think of Giallo, we think of kind of like what an Argento film looks like. And yeah. it's really, I don't know, it really has its own. Uh, aesthetic and it is still like sort of uh stark and striking it's not like very naturalistic most of the time but it is uh, but but it's very very different than like an argento sort of imaginary world stark compositions oftentimes like isolated characters yeah again like deep in the frame um and i i love the twists on top of twists there's nothing better to me than introducing like a twist like an hour in and then introducing two more it's very in keeping with the style of filmmaking perfected in the saw cycle of films uh between 2005 and 2010 i thought we were done with those bennett (laughs) sorry no i i watched like three of them last night (laughs) oh no my friends had never seen them i don't know (laughs) yeah so we we sort of find out that uh that gene wasn't the killer because the killer gets killed um and gene is still around Oh, and he like we thought maybe they were followed. They were followed to Spain by the murderer, um, but then clearly not. Uh, and then we see once we sort of learned that the killer isn't Jean, almost immediately Jean shows up at their apartment in Spain, where Mrs. Ward and George, her court, her quarter. Is that a word? Quarter? Courtesan? Is that it? Suitor? Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, let's go with suitor. <laughs> suitor. <yeah>. Um, <laughs> Gentleman caller. Gentleman caller. They're staying in this place in Spain. And so Gene shows up and is like, now I'm the murderer. Uh, and, and cuts the gas. Uh, and, and really cleverly, they have a door that latches with like, you know, one of those, like a like a bolt, like a physical bolt you drop into a slot. Mm-hmm. And he like sneaks out the door and puts a piece of ice under it. So 
the ice will melt and then the bolt will lock, so it'll look locked from the inside, which is genius. Yeah. I'm surprised this never come up in another movie. I've never seen another character do that. Yeah, it's, it's real like, good murderer stuff. You know what? I think it really speaks to Martino's genius, uh, a move like that. And it's so incredible that he, of all people, would come up with that like genius uh, yeah. tactic for a killer. Which maybe, to, to call back to what you were mentioning earlier, Craig, maybe it does sort of come from his, like, worldly experience of directing a million kinds of films, right? He's, like, sometimes doing a giallo, but sometimes doing, like, a crime film, right? Maybe that's a thing that he came up with or came across at some point while dealing with, like, normal or crime. (laughs) Right, yeah. Instead of getting caught in, like, certain types of, like, genre trappings, he has this sort of bigger library to call from for sort of, like, moves a character might make or, like, even... Instead of being, like, and then maggots fell from the ceiling, right? He's like, and then here's a clever way someone could make it look like somebody committed suicide. It's just a very different approach to to what a Gialli can be, Giallo. He has attention to, like, worldly details that the more mystical filmmakers uh, sometimes forget about. Yeah. They They don't look small enough. Yeah, so we find out that he, that Jean is doing a murder, and then, and then she's dead, and then our main character is dead, uh, and so we sort of follow uh, what Jean goes to, shows up in a grove, and George shows up, and it turns out that George is paying Jean to murder Mrs. Ward, uh, which which doesn't make any sense. Until then, Jean goes and meets up with Mrs. Ward's husband, and we find out that the whole movie has been uh, strangers on a train, but from the underside, where. Uh, these two men met up and ha- one of them murdered the other one's sister so that he could get a full inheritance and the other one murdered the, the first one's wife so that he could get a life insurance. And then they're driving away together, giddily laughing when they see Mrs. Ward on the side of the road and freak out. And then some cops start, which is an insane way for the police to be like, this is how we're going to entrap them. We're going to put the woman right. that they tried to murder on the side of the road and then they'll see her and they'll freak out uh, and then we'll roll up. You'll be super uh, safe. <laughs> yeah, right. It'll be fine for her. Don't worry about it. But that's what they do. And then the guys drive into a river and die. The, the scene is perfectly directed, though, because, like, we don't yeah. go back with Mrs. Ward once they've no. seen her. Like, it's it's left as, like, a maybe sort of a thing, yeah. which is so great. But, yeah, yeah like, it, it, the most, in, not to be the cinema sense guy, but just the most <laughs> insane thing movie cops have ever cooked up. Like, yes. We'll just hope they just see her in passing and don't hit her with their yeah. car or and something. And don't just not notice her at all. <laughs> yeah. Right. They have to stop and, like, come back. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, but it works. And then they, and then they die. Everybody dies. Um, and she goes off with a young doctor because everyone in Italian movies is constantly falling in love. So she goes off with her what, fourth suitor of the movie, who is who is just a cop, some cop who showed up. Oh, it's the doctor. It's the doctor that saved her. Right. Because we find out that she didn't actually die. She w- would have died, except George showed up slightly too early. If he had waited another 10 minutes to show up and open the door, she would be dead. But he showed up and acted traumatized too early. And now she's fine. And in love with a young doctor. And presumably rich. So one scene that I do think really shows everything that Martino is great at is when her friend Carol thinks it's all a game and she goes to meet the killer in the park because she's been blackmailed. And she's like, I'll go. But when she arrives, the park is just, everything is silent. And I just, the way that scene. And huge bushes, just giant bushes. Yeah. And silence. And the wind just starts blowing and the sound just like slowly comes in. And it's like, you know, at first it seems like nothing's going to happen, but. And it's, it's in a lot of, it's, it's super sparse, 
right? It's a very weird, empty space. We also are cutting back and forth, at least at first, between Carol and um, and Julie, who's watching a motorcycle race on TV, for whatever reason. Uh, and it's sort of just her being distraught watching this motorcycle race because she knows that her friend is off potentially getting murdered. And Carol is sort of carefree walking through these weird, silent gardens. And and we get a couple of like little mini jump scares, right? She she sort of comes across a garden caretaker and it's like, oh, but then the caretaker is just like, better they're closing the garden. It's soon. closing time, so <laughs> yeah. it's sort of ominous. Yeah, she might get locked in. Yeah. This is also a movie where sorry, I'm sidetracking myself, where all of the um spaces are super like seventies Italy luscious, right? Like everything has crazy, beautiful wallpaper, and they have the room where her TV is, it's like a space age TV and a couch that covers three quarters of the walls. Um, but it's all one couch, right? Everything is just these, like, gorgeous sort of spacey. Their doors have bubbly windows in them. Um, and so she's in this, like, space room, uh, just alone and tiny, while her friend is sort of walking through these gardens. And we're tracking with her, and it does. It feels sort of silent and empty and strange. And she she also, uh, Carol, goes uh, through the scene sort of from being confident that she's going to run into Jean and laugh in his face to just from the absence of anything, just sort of terrified. She's like, "What is? I don't understand what's happening here. I thought I was just going to run into this guy I know and laugh at him. Um, but now nothing is happening. Uh, and it goes on for kind of a long time. But not not like in a incompetent way, like in a very... No, in like a cat, like fucking with a mouse. Yeah, sort of way. yes. Like, yeah, it feels very like Martino sort of playing with us. And it's it's like scary. And it is and, scary. And really tense. And I don't know, again, like you don't often think of like these Giallo films as being all that like authentically scary. Yeah. Uh, they're often like really unsettling, but they rarely like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they rarely play on like tension and fear in that like conventional way. And here I am again saying conventional. But I mean it as a compliment when I'm talking about Martino. You you mentioned earlier that, that Martino is sort of, we don't say this, but he's sort of the Hitchcockiest, right? And this whole sequence is very Hitchcocky. This could absolutely be in uh, Vertigo or something, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it just, you know, speaks to the degree to which he's an auteur that he wrote his own scripts. But like, yeah. I almost wish he had been a guy that was like a journeyman, just kind of handed like shitty scripts, because one imagines he's so good that like he could have kind of like made hay out of anything. He could have like adapted bestsellers or... <laughs> This scene could have been, like, a terrible three-line thing where, like, a lesser filmmaker would have made a terrible, like, she walks into the hedges and gets murdered. Yeah. That's what it seems like when the caretaker comes out. It's like, oh, this is over. Yeah. You know? But yeah, just, yeah. That suspense remains. And he really makes a meal <laughs> out of it. This film could be really bad. I mean, like, dream yeah. sequences in horror movies are so often so bad. Yes. And, I don't know, a lot of, like, bad jolly, like, you know, lean into the dreamlike logic as a way of uh, just obscuring the fact that the filmmaker isn't any good. And yeah. those are oftentimes great to watch. But like the dream sequence in this film, when like the three like men are all sort of like overlapping with one another, uh, it's really, really quite effective. Yeah. You know, one of the most, I-, I would say, I don't know, accurate evocations of what it is like to be kind of like in a dream and actually experiencing dreamlike logic, you know, because we say dreamlike logic all the time when we're talking about movies and really we just mean incoherence. Yeah. <laughs> we mean, <laughs> that, we, we that threw actually, some nonsense you know, together. Like a, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that actually felt like bringing a dream to life. Can I, can I just mention one shot that really struck me when I was sort of rewatching the other day is uh, because, because it is so mostly shot in such a sort of straightforward, but, but competent way. There's a shot that really, when she's sort of in Spain freaking out that she's maybe being followed by a murderer again. 
Um, there's a scene where the camera just starts swinging back and forth, like like someone oh. on the tripod is just ringing it back and forth, and it's so disorienting and sort of out of the general vernacular of the film that it's it's like a goofy move, but was for for me at least surprisingly worked pretty well. I was like, whoa, I got a little like seasick. I also love the part with the harpoon. They just like shoot a harpoon at her, and she's like, oh, that was yeah. weird, and runs away. Yeah, end of moment. <laughs> So yeah, Martino, he's he's got some uh, pretty gory scenes, but uh, I found an interview with him where he said they would intentionally go overboard with some of the fantasy and violent scenes just so the Italian censors would have something obvious to cut out. And That's he funny. said through that they'd have, you know, this really terrible thing, and then the rest would seem more tame by comparison. So, Jim, I'm just curious, because you've directed some films that, you know... Fall a little bit outside of convention. Um, sure. But how do you strike the balance of, you know, putting your vision forward while also delivering a product that the people with money and, you know, have the final approval can sign uh-huh. off on? I mean, if I knew that, I'd have made way more movies. Fair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I don't know. It's... um. I I imagine... I've, I've obviously never had to deal with, like, the MPAA because I'm not on that... Uh, scale and I don't believe in them. Um, I, I think I've heard other people sort of mention a similar practice, right? Where you, where you're like, I'm going to put in a few things that are that are just too much, so that when they come at me, I can be like, I'll compromise with you yeah. and take those things out. Which I think is that's like basically how you like negotiate for a car, right? Where you're like, I'm going to say three thousand dollars less than I want to pay. It's a fun tactic, but also a dumb thing that we have to do in order to navigate systems. But it's also I I don't know I don't know I'm I'm curious and there's no way to know this I guess but I'm curious for someone like Martino what then if you're like I'm gonna put in this one super gnarly scene because I want them to be like ooh we have to take out that one scene and then I'll have the movie I want what if you then send it to the censors and they're like yeah it seems okay yeah. <laughs> are you like ah oh, well I'm gonna take this one scene out anyway or are you like I guess my movie's just grosser than I wanted it to be. That's an even better question. <laughs> is he still alive? Can we find? Because he also, is, yeah. inevitably, like, if it does get cut out, then 20 years later, some company is going to find it somewhere and be like, we have the original cut. This is Martino's intended cut. And he'll be like, wait, no, I didn't. My intended cut was the was the compromise right. that I made. I shot that horrifying scene <laughs> as, like, uh, yeah, as, as a, a joke, joke. basically. Yeah. As a yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to gross out the censors. Please don't put it in my movie. That's like the plot of a metatextual, like a Berberian sound system, like someone who made a bunch of movies and now all their movies are being restored, but with scenes they never wanted in them. Uh And has to defend like director's cuts that like have no (laughs) connection to what they actually envisioned. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. It's a good idea. I'm going to steal it. Uh, take it. Yeah. Take it. And then somehow that turns into someone doing like copycat murders of their grossest scenes. Uh, exactly. Or something. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> there's some sort of elaborate traps, of course. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. We've touched on this in the past two episodes, but. The largest complaint you often see with Giallo films is that people say these films are terrible to women. And I mean, it's it's not wrong, but I sure. think especially with Martino's films, the criticism just so often ignores that the men in these films are just absolutely monstrous and like cartoonishly detestable. I mean, why do you think Martino stuffs his films with so many unlikable characters who are all trying to seem nice? 
I think honestly, if you asked him, Martino would probably say his films. Well, I don't want to put this in his mouth, but like, I don't imagine Martino thinks of himself as a guy with any like problems with women. Um, I, I think he probably thinks of his films as like having like a broadly feminist message in general, at least the ones that like focus on women and feature horrible men. I think part of his men being so categorically horrific is, you know, part of uh, creating a world that's fundamentally misogynistic. And that yeah. is, you know, female characters are going to have to be sort of... Uh, fighting against you know they're, they're, they're going to be like at a disadvantage they'll be that kind of like lone figure sort of deep in the frame uh, against the world that we can understand is populated by and large with you know people who are bad and are uh deceitful in particular you know all the twists i think speak to oh sorry all, all the twists and the abundance of you know nice guys uh really I, I think speaks to his interest in creating a world that is working against his protagonists it, yeah, it does feel like Julie Ward, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's it feels like she has like she has a fear of her own sexual proclivities. But beyond that, she seems like a healthy, <laughs> decent human being. Right. Uh, but literally everyone around her, it's just her sort of trying to get through life. And literally everyone she runs into is an absolute monster. It, it, it to the point where at the end, she's like starts to drive off with this handsome young doctor. And you're like, don't please don't. Yeah. He's smirking. What? Why? Yeah. <laughs> right. And I don't think I don't think the film wants us to believe. I don't think Martino or the film wants us to believe that there's anything bad about the quote unquote strange vice no. in of itself. Like we're, there's nothing bad about the fact that she's a woman who enjoys sex. It's just no. that a world has impressed upon her that that's bad. And also most of the men she's surrounded by are, you know, sexual predators. Yeah. So it's sort of it, a, a world exists where it's tough to have a strange advice as strange as hers and and jean sort of comes off as the least awful of all of them Je yeah, jean yeah. who is the like Which, former yeah. s&m partner isn't it isn't of itself sort of problematic right the yeah. one that like from the beginning she's telling us is this horrifying sex pervert is yeah he's the, like the least problematic he's a photographer and he has a bunch of yeah. pets uh and he eventually gets paid a bunch of money by one of these two dudes to try to murder her right the only time he like actually tries to hurt someone uh, in a in a non consensual way is is when he's being paid a great sum of money, money which isn't involved, great, yeah. right? That's still not a a great human trait to have. Um, but everyone else is trying to murder her out of their own free will, right? So he's he's least less bad than all of them. But we even get a scene where it's like a cop interrogating the two of them, and they're sort of talking. They're talking back and forth about their about their uh, th their kink, uh, and. And at the end of the thing, the cop is like, oh, I don't approve of y'all's sexual practice. I made him text him. Uh, I don't approve of y'all's <laughs> sexual proclivities. Uh, and uh, and and Gene is like, I don't care. Deal with it. Yeah. And, and you're like, oh, he's sort of like the only one in this movie who is who is like free uh, until eventually he then becomes a murderer. Um, but yeah, it feels like it's not kink shaming really at all. It's just sort of set in a world where where that cop is the norm, right? Where where it is considered bad for a woman to be probably interested in sex at all, but certainly interested in uh, in sort of kinky stuff. Yeah, and I I don't know. I mean, I, this is like gonna sound like small praise or something, but like in the in the in the world of like horrors that are leveled against the protagonists of horror movies i feel like i don't know mrs ward is not like made to suffer uh like sure. she's like stalked a lot throughout this movie but there's not a lot of like torture yeah. and stuff that's like yeah she's like forced to endure for our like viewing pleasure even like the sure. ultimate like murder that happens is a fairly like uh you know hands-off style of murder yeah she just uh, lies on the floor and quietly carbon yeah. Monoxide or, yeah it's not like uh it's not like a saw movie or something 
It's not. It's not like um, our, our, our classic uh, the, the, that classic series. It's not like that classic <laughs> jigsaw killer we've come to know and love. <laughs> no, I, I like your use of the phrase "sexual proclivities" because there's a lot of like very like artfully clunky dialogue yeah. uh, late in the film, especially like when the doctor is like trying to like see to her after the uh, asphyxiation. He says something like, "I cannot sense her pulse. Uh, phone the authorities immediately," or something like that, uh, which I really liked. Uh, <laughs> Do you guys have any final thoughts on Strange Vice before we move on to Mountain of the Cannibal God? Or I'll just I'll just say, um, you know, it's as good or better than a lot of the jelly you've heard of, um, or you know, that are that that get more ink and more uh, discussion. Yeah. Um, like all of Martino's uh, explorations in the genre in the seventies and eighties, it's uh, it's really great. Yeah, I would say if people are like looking to this episode of Split Picks for an actual recommendation. Um, which I hope they are. I hope that's why they tune in. Uh, <laughs> and also to hear your thoughts and voices. Um, yours specifically, not mine. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, any, any, really any of Martino's outings is a fully worthwhile use of your time. They, I think they are all lesser seen than the, like, like I said at the beginning, right? The ones that are like really like hooping and hollering, but they are, they are all the better sort of for their lack of, of those uh, wildnesses. Uh, and really, they're all super, super solid. I could have picked any of them uh, and come in here and and tried to defend it, I think. I think if you want to watch the most sleazy, Torso is the way to go. I think if you want to watch something that's the most Argento, uh, Scorpion with two tails is the way to go. But I think that these early 70s ones are really sort of where the where the joy mostly is. And I think Mrs. Ward is a really, really incredible example of just a rock solid giallo. Yeah. Yeah, and even more so than Fulci, um, yeah. dipping into Martino's films gives you the sense of discovery that Argento's films, and then, you know, obviously the big American horror directors aren't right. necessarily going to give you. So just type his name into Tubi, folks, yeah. and enjoy the ride. That's my, my Peter Travers-esque recommendation. <laughs> I, wait, I have one more sort of final giallo note, which is... Because when I was watching all these movies, so I'm never going to stop recording this episode. Uh, when we were watching all these movies, I went out and bought this. I, bought I, all, I kept thinking that. about doing it, but I hate scotch because, so much. Because, <laughs> this is a bottle of J&B, rare J&B blended scotch. Yeah. Uh, because it's in it's in every, every Italian giallo, movie from the 70s, reason, yeah. but absolutely every giallo. Have you seen the supercut? No. There's a great supercut like of all <laughs> yeah. the giallos that Just have J&B. It floating by in the background and then oh, someone taking a slug of it. I bought this because I was like, I'm watching all of these and I it's I should know. So uh, it's bad. It's, <laughs> it's bad scotch. Bad. It, but, it's, but it's a gorgeous bottle. And so yeah. that maybe that's why. Because yeah. it's so beautiful to look at. But it's a bad scotch. <laughs> It's funny, like you watch or read stuff that's like set in like the sixties or seventies, and like people order it like it's the good scotch. Yeah, like, like Smirnoff was treated in like the sixties. It's so weird. Did know? they did they just not have good scotch? Yet? Truman Capote apparently loved J and B. It would insist on ordering it as Justerini and Brooks or whatever it is. What it's a like, dork! It's so funny to think of like such a dork and such a snob as drinking like horrible scotch. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I went through my whole bottle eventually, but <laughs> it's a chore. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna get one just to hide on my bookshelf in the back for this episode. See, that's nice. Yeah. I thought about I thought about doing that, but I also teach college classes in this room, and I didn't want my students to be like, "Oh, he's an alcoholic now." <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, that's probably a good place to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to talk about either the mountain or the slave of the cannibal god. But which one? Pick your title. It's uh, they both work. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. 
Is that the one with the karate? What? I um, have completely forgotten what a Stephen King movie is. Hi, I'm Sam Hain. Come on <laughs> down to the used pumpkin mart. Synesthesia, a movie podcast with Jason Michaelich and Jim Hickox. It's time again. From Split Tooth Media. Italy had a trend of uh, cannibal films in the 70s and 80s. Uh, can either of you begin to describe the fascination with this trend? <laughs> Uh, I, I think it grew out of Mondo movies. And do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, Jim, you want to, for the benefit of our listeners... Uh... <laughs> there was a whole trend of, of what Mondo Canna is the first one, or like the most famous first one, uh, A Dog's World. I'm sure I said Canna wrong. I always read it as Mondo Kane. It's spelled like Kane. I think it's Kane. Kane? Mondo Kane? Uh, but it's a, whole, it's a whole world of movies that sort of grow out of that that are, they call them Mondo, which is just like world, right? But it's... They're, they're exploitation films, but they're documentaries. They would just send people to countries that were less developed. Is that a rude thing to say? I think that's just accurate, right? Less uh, industrialized. Industrialized, yeah. And and be like, and be like, look what these people do. These people, I don't know, eat a coconut and then and then kill a dog, right? Um, they would just find the kind of gnarliest things that they could in other societies and then make like documentaries uh there were quotes around that if you couldn't hear them that sort of are documentary but largely are just exploitative just for you to watch things happen it's like it's like when you're in fifth grade and you flip through national geographic to find boobs it's that but a whole movie and a whole genre of movies right so i feel like the cannibal movie sort of grew out of that yeah so it started with um movies that were sort of were reappropriating documentary footage for exploitation films and then it sort of evolved into exploitation films that were pretending to be documentaries oftentimes i i've i've avoided most of the canonical really all of the canonical cannibal films on reputation alone cannibal holocaust capital uh, cannibal ferox etc but i know cannibal holocaust at least it's like an early found footage film. It professes to be like, you know, what was left behind by this documentary crew. That yeah, it, got is, eaten. it literally uses the same structure, right? They're like this documentary crew went to document these cannibals and half of them don't believe there are cannibals. But then but then someone else found it's found footage is basically just the mockumentary of the horror world. Right. It's inevitably someone shot some stuff and then we found it and they're all dead. But the, the, yeah, they're exactly that. They're early versions of that. Um, like the only cannibal film I've seen, and it's really like a zombie film is uh, Dr. Cannibal MD, I think also called Cannibal Holocaust, which was introduced uh, at the screening I saw it at as probably the only cannibal film without animal cruelty. So, like, you know, (laughs) we're already sort of wading into, you know, why this is a difficult subgenre to talk about because it features kind of a a soup of problematic topics. Um, There's a lot of uh, animal cruelty. There's a lot of racism. (laughs) There's a lot of xenophobia, just sort of like fear of uh, different cultures. There's, you know, uh, a lot of uh, violence against women, (laughs) Um, sometimes violence against children. You know, it's... uh, a, uh, a like I said, a, a soup of problematizing aspects for sure. <laughs> and I'm glad you mentioned that because you know normally we kind of work up to some of the more problematic elements of the film, <laughs> but you again chose a bold film. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it is important to kind of touch on this stuff before we get too deep into this one. Well, it's also those are just the hallmarks of the tradition, right? The things that you are doing, if you're an Italian director in 1970, whatever, and you're making a cannibal movie is you're like, well, I have to find brown people and say that they're from some weird island and make them dress up dumb. Mm -hmm. And I have to mutilate some real animals 
Uh, those yeah, are like, gotta be a sacrifice. Those yeah. are things that you are signing on to by putting Cannibal in the title, right? Do you want to just give us a little background on what this film is about and why you feel it's worth discussing, despite its more controversial yeah. aspects? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So um, for me, like I said, kind of up top, like I, I wanted to pick a film of Martino's that wasn't uh, a gialli. I wanted to kind of look outside that world. And, you know, one of the things that makes him so interesting is that he played in a lot of the, the subgenres we associate with Italian horror, uh, Italian films. And, uh, you know, this is one of them, the cannibal film. And watching this, I was really struck by how kind of competently, confidently made it is. It's just kind of like a rock solid movie that happens to have some of the most upsetting nature <laughs> footage and uh, really problematic footage of, and I'm using air quotes here, folks, natives you've ever seen uh, yeah. in a movie. So I certainly don't bring this to the table as a way of like recommending it for like everybody. But, you know, if <laughs> if you are at all a fan of like exploitation films, you know, if you if you know you're comfortable with what you're kind of, necessarily getting into with a film like this then i, I do recommend it because i don't know it's hard to believe that even the the canonical films of this subgenre are, are better than this i mean i don't i think when people talk about cannibal holocaust they mostly talk about the score right i don't think anyone thinks of it as being like an especially great piece of filmmaking um whereas i think this is pretty good i think cannibal holocaust is mostly striking in that it was it's sort of the earliest one that we talk about right it's one of the progenitors of the genre and it is it does some gnarly stuff, right? It has documentary footage in it. It has real war footage. Like people, you watch actual human beings die and then and then you watch a guy stab a turtle and then it, it, nothing about it is good to watch, right? It's like one of those things where like you watch it and then you can be like, I have watched that. The, the, the thing that is great about this movie is that you can watch it and also be like, plus I got some cinematic joy from it. There's something doubly subversive about a film like this that has some polish to it and yeah. has like a Bond girl and like Stacey Keach in it. Um, I also think, you know, we should say like the influence of these films is so vast and so the, the its tropes are so ubiquitous that like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom does not happen without Italian yeah. cannibal films. You know, Absolutely. you don't have a, you know, again, like a quote unquote Indian guy <laughs> pulling a guy's heart <laughs> out and doing this if you don't have you know, all of these people who are allegedly from like Papua New Guinea or right. what have you, like sacrificing animals and stuff. These, these made up religions. Yeah. So, you know, the, the movie idea of sort of native cultures that this is playing with is, you know, we should have, of course preface it with like very problematic. Yeah. Uh, we certainly don't condone any of this, but like, you know, you got to acknowledge how huge its influence was on the most mainstream of mainstream films. <laughs> well, give me a little bit of the plot. So Ursula Andress, um, who you'll all remember from Dr. No, is a woman named Susan whose husband is an anthropologist who's gone missing somewhere out in New Guinea. Um, as a very, very self-serious title card tells us, this is one of the few places in the world that's really untouched by the West, untouched by modern technology. So she goes out there with uh, her brother and a sort of Indiana Jones adventuring professor type, uh, Edward Foster, played by the great Stacy Keach. Can, can I just mention, the way that we meet Stacy Keach, where it's like, what, six or seven minutes into the movie, and they're like, oh, we have to go meet this guy in his house, and it's like a weird, dilapidated house, and we see Stacy Keach before they do, and he just kind of enters into the frame and, like, violently leers at them for uh -huh. six or eight seconds, and then, and then, like, breaks into, like, a happy smile and is like, hey, guys, nice to see you. But he, like, really enters the movie on, like, a, on, like, a boat of doom. He's also wearing shorts. Which He's I wearing tiny shorts, <laughs> which you don't see until we cut to a wide shot. It, it is, it's cut into the movie like a gag. Mm -hmm. And then he has a good line about the dilapidated house, too. He says something like, uh, oh, you must forgive the uh, informality of my own. <laughs> yeah. 
We also get, I should say, just some great like stock nature footage. Like right from the start, we're getting like the violence of nature as violent as it gets. We see like a turtle attack an alligator. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're he he really is making a meal of like what nature footage he got right from that title uh, sequence or yeah. that opening credits. But yeah, they, they they go out there in hopes of finding her brother. Um, they believe there's like a like a cursed mountain um, where he may have disappeared at the hands of a tribe. Um, and eventually they meet up with um, a guy named Manolo, who is like an adventurer who's been living out there with a priest, uh, Father, I want to say like Moseus. Moseus, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, they let's just say they run afoul of the natives and uh, several uh, creatures and critters, uh, many of whom meet uh, ignominious ends. Well, Moseus, right, is also he's living with like a tribe. Uh, I'm putting that in yeah, quotes. Uh, I'm putting everything like racist in quotes. He's a missionary doctor. Uh, he's got sort of like a, I don't know. Uh, he's he's your your stock sort of uh, guy who's kind of gone native. Yeah, like a doctor Livingston, yeah. right? And he, yeah, he's like sort of our white touch point in this in this culture. It's, but so we meet like the tribe, right? And we're like, oh, they're okay people. But then while we're there hanging out in that camp, Stacy Keach reveals that he was kidnapped by a different tribe. Uh, and was made to also become a cannibal, and it, and and tells it in a way where it, it was clearly to him very harrowing, right? This this like experience of being forced to eat human flesh. No, he gets like his uh, 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 Robert Shaw yeah. from like Jaws moment. Yeah, you know? but that also that sort of keys us into the the other curse of the mountain beyond it just being cursed is that it's full of cannibals. This movie kind of has a few acts to it It, you know it kind of starts as like they arrive at the island but then it becomes a jungle adventure movie and they kind of stop at these various camps and you know there's a waterfall tarantula yeah i mean how do you feel about the structure of this movie it's a fairly straightforward narrative but i feel like it does some interesting things i like the way this sort of like travel montage is handled i think that's like really good you get some great photography and it's also like i don't know you get like funny like bits of like comedy like the guy eating the crab yeah. um, is sort of like played for laughs. No, I like the structure of this movie. I like the whole travel sequence is like kind of just extended enough and leaves us enough time for a really pretty harrowing climax. We should mention um, along the way, they yeah they kill a tarantula, which inspires their sort of native guides to sacrifice a Komodo dragon. Yeah, which is in, uh, not great. The, uh, the requisite scene of animal cruelty... Um, not great. Um, I, you know, I realized watching this that I think like one of the reasons that I sort of like it is one of the first favorite movies I could remember is 2005's uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong uh, sticking out to me. I don't know. I think there's just something about the people being like stuck in the jungle and like attacked by like critters that yeah. uh, appeals to me. That's I uh, wrote down after the first time I watched this, I was like the first 75 minutes of this was like a rad fun journey. And then the last half an hour was really, I like just, kept, I kept thinking it was going to end and wanting it to end. But then oh, when it I was, goes on for so long. Yes. when I was, I like rewent through it yesterday and I was like, oh, that's because the first 75 minutes is before they're abducted by a cannibal tribe. And that part of the movie is like, it's kind of a fun, except for like the part where the, we're watching animals be murdered. It's a pretty honestly, fun movie. Yeah, honestly, post that, like once they've been kicked out of um, Dr. Moseus's camp, mm-hmm. um, it becomes for like a brief interlude, kind of this like affable sort of um, like fish out of water, yeah. you know, travelogue. They're just sort of like dealing with the elements, you know, uh, the best they can. Yeah. And then and, like, Stacey Keach get gets to killed. Know each other. Yeah. <laughs> like surprisingly, 
Um, that which something this has in common with uh, Joy's is I think we do see him sort of just like floating in uh, in, in water at one point, uh, much sure. like uh, many of the victims in Joy's. Uh, yeah, he gets just sort of unceremoniously killed. Yeah, he just kind of flops off because we find out that he's primarily there to murder the rest of this tribe. Yeah, he wants to exterminate the tribe. It. Right. We should say we we find out that everybody has everyone has a motive. Yeah, they have no interest in finding her husband. Uh, yeah. They're there to like steal uh like uranium that they think is deposited in the in the mountain uh, which is the curse of the mountain right not to be the cinema sins guy but they're just like playing around with this like solid uranium with their hands how are you gonna bring that back and not i don't know die have you know (laughs) tumors like hanging off of your body i don't understand like yeah it seems like um, they maybe don't totally understand cancer and stuff but they do have a Geiger but, counter. They're looking for it. And then, I well, I don't want to give it anyway. You, you. We, we can get to the well, mountain. <laughs> yeah, speaking of the Geiger counter, basically we, we get to this this cannibalistic tribe that, that kidnaps them. And we find out that her husband's like putrefacting corpse with like a Geiger counter stuck to it, uh, which they, they are taking to be like the beating of a heart, is now being worshipped like a god. And this is Martino at his most... Fulci-esque yeah. when they're like smearing corpse juice on everybody because yeah. he's he's My melted word. he's melted from also presumably carrying around chunks of uranium right the radio action radio activity has made him into a a like human shaped blob with 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 a guy counter like just shoved like like easily slid into the middle of his torso like he was warm butter it's pretty repulsive <laughs> Um, yeah, and then the rituals that we see uh, escalate pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, so folks, again, uh, uh, <laughs> turn off the podcast now if you don't want to hear some descriptions of some pretty harrowing <laughs> stuff. But I alluded before to the way Martino in the sequence sort of at first is like kind of playing it really coy and then is just like, well, yeah. here it is, folks. So we see a woman uh, like masturbating and it's it's played like kind of coy yeah. we keep like cutting back to her cutting back to her she's just sort of like feeling herself and then as we finally get a shot of sort of like penetration we then cut to a man having sex with a pig again yeah. i'm sorry folks that i have to describe this um it, it's really him just like like i don't know lulling us into a sense that we're going to see like a slow escalation to something and then being like boom here it is folks the most upsetting thing you've maybe ever seen in a film <laughs> shot for like, again the, the sequence goes on for a long time it a really is time. like to me like I don't know. It feels like it must be like the apotheosis of what we think of like the subgenre as being like, I know there's obviously films with like more infamous instances of animal cruelty or sure. more iconic deaths, but like, it's hard to imagine a like ritual sacrifice sort of sequence with more uh, upsetting imagery and like a more uh, just genuinely unsettling vibe than this. I don't think in the real world that man is having sex with that pig. No, I don't. Yeah, I, I think don't that think man is, is he's thrusting his hips, his hips yeah. near the back of a pig. Within the no, world yeah, of the I, film, I you say. are watching a man have sex with. It's only it's only important to note this in the context of movies like this, where they are sometimes slicing a gila monster open. Like I don't mind watching someone fake murder an animal or like fake have sex with an animal, but it is pretty distressing. It's definitely um, trying to. Uh, toy with your like is this real yes. it's definitely trying to make you question whether you or not have it's a real. moment I think right the you're real like animal sacrifice earlier yeah. on sort of <laughs> problematizes the question for us yeah, yeah. No, we should be clear uh there's not actual bestiality happening in the film at least you know i it think doesn't yeah. seem so yeah he's kind of overselling it a little bit yeah <laughs> it's kind of like movie sex um, yeah i will say for a movie with this title it 
is impressive that it still finds ways to shock you like oh they're doing that yeah. wow yeah <laughs> like multiple yeah, it definitely times. it more than lives up to its it's very evocative title for yeah. sure yeah. and on the subject of the title i mean the two titles that it is most known by are either mountain of the cannibal god you know the titular mountain that you see throughout the uh, credit sequence and then we yeah. end up on or slave of the cannibal god which is the more you know instantly problematic of the titles and i do <laughs> yeah. feel like it is maybe the more fitting yeah I feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna go there go there <laughs> Yeah, right. Let's just That's let's fair. just swing for the fences, right? So Bennett, you've mentioned some animal cruelty, but uh you found a quote when a reporter asks Martino oh, yeah. about the accusations that the film is both racist and cruel to animals. How did he respond and do you feel his answer is justified? It's pretty funny that he struck a uh, kind of similarly defensive posture to um, you know how we saw Lucio Fulci respond to the uh, accusations of violence in his films, you know he he was like, well, it's nothing compared to those American blockbusters. And I'm sorry, I'm vamping as I'm pulling the quote up now, but he <laughs> he basically suggested that uh, his film is really nothing in comparison to uh, you know the, the natural world or nature documentaries. He says, as far as I'm concerned, these films were inspired by American adventure cinema of the '40s, like King Solomon's Mines and other American and European adventure cinema. I can understand the cruelty against animals charge, but the scene in which the python strangles the monkey, for instance, was shot almost by chance. Now, and here, here's where it gets to be kind of a wild quote. Yeah. Admittedly, the monkey was put next to the snake, but it had every opportunity to escape. There was nothing inevitable about being killed. Anyway, Whoa. in the jungle, the law of life is the law of survival. I don't believe, moreover, and this is, again, where he gets defensive, I don't believe, moreover, that the makers of all these respectable nature documentaries and TV just shoot what they find. Sure. Um, and I guess I agree which with Which is true. There. Like, yeah, That's of accurate. <laughs> this is all, it's but, all contrived. And they're all, you know, guilty of probably plenty of animal cruelty. But sure, come on, man. But just because <laughs> everyone just else, everyone else is doing it, you know, yeah, two like wrongs, a million wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also, like to be like, well, we captured that shot by chance. It's like you also you didn't put it in the movie by chance. You introduced right, yeah. the chance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you intentionally cut it in. That's. It also just doesn't seem necessarily like a fair fight there. The monkey we right. see in the shot in question. Yeah, we chucked like a, a small tiny... monkey next to a giant hungry snake and then just let nature do what nature does. And it's such speaking a of, long I mean, that scene. sequence goes on for forever. Yeah. yeah I, it, speaking of the sort of uh, fixating on the, the violence here, <laughs> again, it's kind of Fulci esque. You know, we talked about in the Fulci episode how he lingers on like wounds and stuff. We get uh, <laughs> definitely with that, that monkey an extended sort of killing sequence. Yeah. And uh, yeah, folks, uh, the bestiality may be simulated, but that uh, is most definitely not. Uh, so there's definitely some some content here that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't find Martino's answer all that satisfactory. Like, no. <laughs> like he's right that nature documentaries are, are pretty complicit in all of this too, but right. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think he needs to apologize for the most, uh, for me, the most, like, I think I'm in a barf shot in the movie, the Komodo dragon barfing up the snake. Like, I don't right. know. There's no reason to assume they fed that snake to the Komodo dragon. Right. But the, the monkey being eaten by the snake, being like crushed by the snake, that seems a little, uh, yeah. Yeah, it feels real because yeah, it. Uh... Well, Jim, one thing you mentioned in the notes is you said how ungrimy this film's production is. What do you mean by that? What do you think it adds to the film? 
Well, as opposed to the, the, I mean, the other, I haven't watched a ton of the cannibal movies because I don't like them, um, but I have watched Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox because they both feel like things that I was supposed to watch at some point. So I did. Mm-hmm. And they are, they very much root themselves in that sort of world of cheap documentary um, in a lot of ways, right? Like Holocaust, I think I already mentioned, they, they're like, here's previous footage from this documentary crew, this fictional documentary crew in the movie, and they show actual documentary footage of other atrocities, which sort of sets you up for things to feel extra real. It it makes things sort of feel more impactful a little later on. But then the whole movie is shot like a sort of low budget documentary crew right like the like like you associate with found footage films right where it's 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 16 millimeter which is what you would have been doing at the time and it's it's sort of like shaky and you know it's 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 in the same sort of milieu as like a uh blair witch project but earlier and and in a different world and this movie isn't this movie is very much i i guess that makes sense bennett that he's like pulling most of his inspiration from like 40s adventure Hollywood movies because it is shot very much. It's like there's dolly shots. The camera, the camera work is nice. There's a really slick shot through Stacy Keach's house where we're like gliding across from room to room while they're walking around on the other end of the house. And it, it's it sort of features all of the sort of the things, the competence that we were talking about earlier. Right. There's something about the sort of uh, handheld sloppiness of like the faux documentary form that excuses showing uh, nasty stuff. You don't hold stuff. it against it. Yeah. yeah, you're like, well, that's just it feels like a documentary. It feels like they sort of captured stuff by happenstance. And it and you're like, oh, that's just whatever. But to to be like, oh, this like full on whole crew set up lights around a monkey and a snake and then made them eat each other. Right. It, it's there's something meaner about it uh, that I don't know, just to to watch these sort of horrible things happen in high production value. It's it like has a worse message about humanity as a whole or something. That opening title card too carries like a, a sense of import that like feels more real than like yeah. the, a, a documentary crew went into the jungles of Papua New Guinea. Like yeah. it feels like this is like so we we did some research into this and here's Hollywood's take on this. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, very... obviously it's not a Hollywood movie, but you know what I mean. Like, this isn't just like four people with a camera. This is like there's money behind this. <laughs> A lot of people decided that what we're showing you was a good idea. Yeah. I mean, it is something. It's like I the masks that the, the cannibal tribe wears. Ooh, so scary. Yeah. They're creepy as hell, but we're, you know. Definitely almost... actual dead animals, like apes or something, right? I don't know, but. I couldn't tell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. But it's a testament to how gross a lot of this movie is that we're ah. you know, 25 minutes into this section and just now touching on. The actual like They're horrifying written aesthetics. portions of the horror, yeah. Because yeah. like the middle is kind of a cat and mouse game again, where it's like, oh, we're in the jungle. Yeah, we gotta be careful. But yeah, yeah. How do, how do you feel about those scenes? With, I guess the hunt would be the way to say it. <laughs> when the, when like the bad tribe is sort of showing up and and attacking. Yeah. They're running away. I don't know. It's it's gnarly. It's yeah. It's it's <laughs> yeah. It's it's scary. I mean, you know, the the polished certainly does not diminish the uh, actual real like visceral horror yeah um i don't know it never ceases to be upsetting to me like seeing someone get disemboweled i don't know something about like visceral trauma is like worse like like trauma of like the torso is just sure. like, um is worse to me than someone getting beheaded and we do get a great decapitation in this for movie. sure yeah i don't know I, I just think once again like martino just is super competent and there's like a real sense of like geography and like space and stuff. Like it doesn't have the dream like randomness that, you know, you might be 
given to like naturally associate with Italian genre cinema. Yeah, it does. It's like those masks you just mentioned, Craig, are like I spent a good amount of time trying to decide if they were actual ape dried ape faces or if they were something that an art department made. Right. And I don't I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and and that is it's, it's again, it's like Martino's. This is the same as putting ice in a bolt lock instead of like some sort of wild f- fanciful thing. Right. All of his stuff feels like it's rooted in stuff that could be real. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And you it, it does. It leaves you guessing. Right. It, you're you're never like 100 percent sure how upset to be. And that makes it more upsetting. And much like in Mrs. Ward, it sort of like bombards you with a ton of narrative twists and contrivances yeah. all at once, kind yes. of right at the end. And it's more unmooring and more upsetting than it was in Mrs. Ward because like we're out in the fucking jungle with these people, you know, yeah. like we, we, now I don't know what to think. And I've like followed these people along and I, I supposed to be like rooting for them. And I'm supposed to be like, Oh, these are like people I can trust. And it's a tough situation to be in. Like when you don't know how to, who to trust during that like ending, like sacrifice. I don't know. It's a very like daring move to like pull the rug out from under us and like upset our alliances yeah. before subjecting us to this insane extended like torture ceremony because it is it's sort of the same pacing right there's like an hour ish and then and then a bunch of insane stuff happens all the reveals all the reveals like half an hour basically of torture <laughs> but in mrs ward you know you're watching like a murder mystery right? right in this you think you're watching some people who are like headed for some doom in the jungle a pretty like point a to point b journey yeah you're yeah. not expecting a but bunch then of it's twists. like ha 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 also everything you th- thought was true was a lie and you're like wait hold on a second no one's likable yeah <laughs> yeah i hate all and like uh, this, uh, just another similarity to Mrs. Ward. It also ends with a weird romance angle that I didn't see or want. Where you're like, yeah, I don't think I want these characters together. Yeah. So one thing we talked about last year with the Wes Craven stuff is he was a director who he was really trying to push horror to its grossest, darkest places. And, you know, Last House on the Left, obviously he, he got pretty out there. But yeah. when you see something like this, where there's cannibalism there's you know bestiality there's beheadings there's real monkeys being eaten by snakes like yeah what's left i mean <laughs> you no one's gonna feel good after seeing this movie it's just such a different reaction i mean what's your take on the after effects of this movie <laughs> Well, yeah, to return to the idea of how, how daring it is to paint all of the characters in such an unsavory light, you know, yeah. they, they, they swim away at the end and it's like, oh, these two shitty people <laughs> got away from this tribe. Like, what am I supposed to think about this? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's not a movie you can feel good about. I don't know. It's why I definitely, yeah. uh, I know Split Picks is supposed to be like a movie you're, you're recommending. And this is definitely, <laughs> uh, while I think it is a competent piece of filmmaking, even a quite uh, effective piece of filmmaking. It's maybe not a movie I would recommend watching more than once. It's more of a conversation starter. <laughs> it's more of like, uh, hey, do you know Martino made a cannibal movie with Stacey Keach and Ursula Andress? It's, it, it makes an interesting companion with Isle of the Fishman. It does super effectively do what it's trying to do. I also, if anybody, you know, if you're looking for a recommendation, maybe watch the first 75 minutes. and, <laughs> and but, but skip over every time an animal shows up. Yeah. Yeah, right. If you see an animal on screen, just hit yeah. that 30 second skip. Yeah. <laughs> A couple times. Yeah. So going back to Craven, though, because like his whole thing was like he wanted his movies to make you uncomfortable. And this one sure. does. And then yeah. you know, we get to modern horror. And I feel like there is just 
this notion that like modern horror should be fun and like they should all be kind of funny it's just it's so different awful yeah i mean if you show people (laughs) something from what was this 1978 most like you know modern horror fans will think this is the grossest movie they've ever seen (laughs) oh sure it's way grosser than most modern horror way grosser yeah, but we do. We sort of get a division, right, in like the '90s, 2000s, where we get like, and and Wes Craven is partially culpable, Definitely. right? He like Definitely. switches from from doing Last House on the Left to doing Scream, you know, Scream, and <laughs> Shocker, modern right? movies. Yeah, uh, but but we we sort of get this division where we get like fun time because I think horror was like sort of an undergroundy genre, right? It was playing at cinemas that were trying to attract audiences away from Hollywood. So when Hollywood gets into the horror game, we start to get like the Hollywood, right, like, the the approachable horror that can play in a mall. Mm. So we start getting that, but then we also get, like, what the Japanese guinea pig movies, right, and and the Saw movie, right? We start getting things that are, yeah. like, in <laughs> instead of being a fun time full of jokes, I mean, I guess the Saw movies are sort of blending it, right? But we start getting sort of the, like, grimiest version of horror where we're, like, this is literally just an hour and a half of a man being dissected and, and you Insisting can't tell if it's a real or not. Right? Yeah. 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 So Bennett, you wrote a really great piece about the Saw franchise. One of the things you talk about a lot in that is the term torture porn. Do you want to discuss that or do you want to just send people to the essay? (laughs) The term torture porn was coined uh, in the mid-aughts when the Saw movies were uh, kind of in their initial heyday, basically to describe the Saw movies, Hostel, Passion of the Christ, movies that really sort of luxuriated in suffering and were ostensibly horror movies but didn't really have a lot of scares they were you know only like scary or upsetting in the sense that they featured people being subjected to uh bodily harm and yeah unlike slasher um other sort of like subgenre type terms that are like maybe derisive uh, i don't think torture porn was ever like reclaimed by filmmakers or fans like it is like exclusively a derisive term and it really like those movies served kind of the same purpose that slashers did in the 80s or like postmodern slashers did in the 90s of like upsetting a lot of people who really appreciated the sort of like revolutionary spirit of horror films like a lot of people like your robin woods saw slashers as like just sort of reifying conservative tendencies sure Uh, like everyone who has sex dies everyone who has sex gets killed is sort of the famous yeah example of how that's embodied yeah um, but yeah, I mean, torture porn was a way of just sort of like shitting on movies that they thought featured like excessive gore. But but even those, right, even those lack the sort of rawness that Martino is willing to go. I mean, partially because we now have like the ASPCA, right? Hollywood does, right? There, You can't feed a monkey to a snake and be like, whoops. Um, but But also, I don't think most people these days would want to. And also, I think if you chucked that into a movie that you released to a, a wide audience, you would probably get a lot of flack in 2022, right? Definitely, yeah. um, it's kind of, it is impossible to make a movie that is exactly as upsetting as as something like this film, I think, in the modern world, without really running into some trouble. Um, Eli Roth tried. Eli Roth of the torture porn... Oh, um, right, Green. Of, tor- of torture porn fame, made a movie called The Green Inferno, yeah. which is kind of like this in the sense that it's like unlikable characters being subjected to the torture, at least like he would, he frames them as unlikable in a kind of super conservative way. They're all like, um, like campus activist types. Um, yeah, not weird. great. Um, weird. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, I think torture porn, if we're going to call it that cannibal films are among the types of movies that it's, it's riffing on for sure. It's the, the last act of this movie, which yeah. is just this sort of like big ceremony that is sort of a central feature, I think of the subgenre. And I think they're all kind of calling back. I, you know, I mentioned King Kong, the Peter Jackson version. I think like King Kong, like the original is, 
another like touchstone. I think that sort of like travelogue films yeah. uh, featuring, you know, quote unquote primitive cultures, uh, it all sort of feeds into a soup that ends up in torture porn uh, with, I guess, Green Inferno being the logical end point. <laughs> probably never get another uh, jungle yeah. cannibal movie, at least not for a long time. Yeah, probably not for a while. Yeah, I mean, that movie just felt like it existed to be controversial and that was its yeah. sole I mean, purpose. That movie <laughs> is what people who hate the Saw movies think the Saw movies are. Oh, really? Yeah. I yeah. mean, that, yeah, just a exist just to be upsetting is all about just like luxuriating in the character's suffering yeah, yeah. I mean, it was another one where my roommate in college was like we should watch this it's so gross that someone threw up at the, at the premiere right and it was like <laughs> cool <laughs> that was, okay that was how saw was first presented to me at football practice i remember a kid uh, saying uh it's the grossest movie i've ever seen and i was like whoa that's that's also that's like a tradition that goes back to like william castle right of like 100%. you hire an ambulance to sit outside and then everyone's like well i have to watch it because somebody passed out Someone or whatever passed out but they still know? do people do that at like can every year they'll like hire an ambulance oh, yeah. to sit outside and be like uh, <laughs> and the movies they're talking about are getting worse and worse yeah <laughs> guys for all of its upsetting content slave of the cannibal god is infinitely better than titan all right yeah. <laughs> let me tell you <laughs> i like titan but okay all right well i'm sorry <laughs> All right. Well, I think you've both hinted that it's not really a competition between a Strange Vice and a Cannibal God, but I mean, if you're gonna try to enjoy a movie, I would definitely go yeah. with literally any of his jelly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I literally, I, I think my my Martino rankings are literally like his five jelly and then Slave of the Cannibal God with Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Ward up top. I, I think really one of the best of the, the subgenre. Whether you're new to it or you're a you know Argento Bava Fulci fan, yeah. um, dip into the Martino films. Uh, a lot of them are on Shutter. A lot of them are on Tubi. You'll learn something. You'll learn something about the genre. I think. So I think the last thing I want to touch on is we originally planned to do four episodes for this series with Mario Bava being the fourth, but time permitting, we had to pick one over the other. And I think we were all more interested in talking about Sergio Martino because he is not generally listed as a tier one director but you know mario bava is he's an institution he's been covered sure. i actually had some trouble trying to find quotes from martino because most of the stuff that's out there is either in italian or just non-existent um yeah. this little book is basically the best you can do the book arrow put out is like i think the most substantial uh martino writing out there is that what his face looks and like on the cover there it's like 60 pages yeah he's so goddamn cool <laughs> Right? It's kind of hot. Yeah. yeah. Don't know if there's a question there, but do you maybe want to just talk about Bava versus I'm glad we Martino? talked about Martino. I'm glad, this is, I'm glad this is the direction we went. Yeah. It does feel like just in terms of sort of the scope of your whole series, right? I feel like the Argento, Fulci, Bava, they're obviously different people making different movies, but there's sort of a, there's like a cohesion to the way that all of them are making movies and i feel like martino and we've talked about this at length maybe but martino sort of breaks away from i think the same it feels like they're all working within sort of the same conventions and he's working on a different more sort of reality grounded uh way and it and it makes i don't know it's it's i think i'm like more familiar with the other guys i hadn't really seen much of martino's work and i'm so happy that i watched a bunch of his movies to do this because they're they're just all great they're all just great oh, movies so good, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish he'd crossed over into Hollywood because it seems yeah. like he'd be the most likely to have been able to sort of like adapt to the system. Yeah. Like, I almost wish he'd come along, you know, like 20 years later when like there maybe might have been like more of a market for that. Oh, yeah. The, the, there's there's an episode in the book. They relate like him going to visit um, the Shaw brothers in Hong Kong, maybe thinking about like making a movie with Jackie Chan, which unfortunately oh my God. never happened. Like, God, that would have been so cool. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that would 
Yeah. Darn. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he did do some more work in TV. He obviously directed more movies after both of these, but, you know, I just feel like he... I mean, Arrow, I think, is doing amazing work with both Bennett. You showed the book. They have, you know, Sergio Martino collection. They have a few other films they've released, but I don't know. He, he just seems like one of the guys who I feel like should be a little more prominent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah he's great. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I hope that he only rises in people's estimations. I mean, obviously we mentioned he's, you know, he's still with us. Uh, it's, it's a morbid thing to reflect on, but I imagine when he's not, that'll invite um, some reappraisal and some people to sort of like re-explore his work. But I hope it doesn't take that. You know, I hope uh, in his lifetime he can be sort of uh, celebrated. Because, yeah, not a dud in the bunch of like the 14 of his films that I've seen. I mean, obviously, like <laughs> like we talked about a lot in our discussion of Slave of the Cannibal Gods, uh, you know, our Slave of the Cannibal God singular. Um, there's just one cannibal god, folks. Um, <laughs> and, he's a, and he's a man and he's got he's... a long beard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he watches you, know, you as, do as everything. We, <laughs> and he's watching you do everything he's watching you right now um you know as we talked about in our discussion of that you know maybe maybe i wouldn't wholeheartedly recommend all of these because you sort of have to have a uh a, a strong stomach a strong you should know for, right <laughs> yeah some of the the more uh upsetting flights of fancy of like italian genre film but um the case of the scorpion's tale strange uh strange vice of mrs ward all the colors of the dark uh, your vice these are real heavy hitters i mean if you were making a list of the 10 best suspicious death of a minor yeah that's yeah great yeah they're all bangers. Usually when I when I come on and do a split picks, I then don't watch anything else by that director for a long time because I've like had to immerse myself. But I'm going to I'm staying on the path of Martino's for a while. I think I've really everything I've watched has been awesome. And I haven't touched on eight genres he's worked in. So like I have to watch some of his sex romps. I have to watch some of his sports movies. Right. Yeah. I want to see the soccer comedy. Yeah. Uh, listeners, his latest film from like 2008 is a soccer comedy. The poster is uh, a guy having clearly been hit in the testicles by, I guess, a soccer ball. It looks like a lot of fun. It's a sequel to a movie he made in like 1980, starring the same yeah, dude. Yeah, it's a sequel, right? Yeah. So I, we have to. You got to watch both, I think. Well, I think that is probably a good place to stop for today, unless you guys have any final concluding thoughts or uh, watch some Martino. Yeah, it's, uh, echo that. Check him out, folks. Tubi, Tubi, or Tubi. Shutter. Hit up that Tubi. Cool. Well, we will wrap this series up here today. Thank you for listening, Bennett. Thank you for doing all three of these episodes. Or four, I guess we split our gentle into two. Jim, always a blast having you around. We'll, uh, yeah, nice to be here. We'll get the three of us together again soon. But we've got one more week of October Horror coming up. You're going to see some things from Bennett about Saw coming this week. To the listeners, I have a question. Want to play a game? I think that Sorry. is going to do it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you liked any of these episodes, it's a huge help if you can share them, give them a like, whatever. We'll be back next year. We're going to we're gonna pick the next country. I think uh, that's probably the way to go. So you'll be hearing from us soon. <laughs>